0: lgbtq friendly to sports vinyl to gutter punk mutiny Radio. FM has the best programming the internet ocean has to offer you i bet my peg leg on it or i ain't scurvy shit face mcrat <laughs> Good evening, there, my friends. Here at Muni Radio Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pam Tastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from eight to ten p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pam Tastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground. <laughs> it's a cash cow, honey. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Whisper pirate ship to your 20 mission high vendor for a special 10% discount
2: on the coolest.
3: June 2016. Welcome to Women's Magazine with Global Val here. Uh, We're here at MutinyRadio.fm here in San Francisco, 21st and Florida streets in the Mission District. And thank you for joining me today. That was some music from the Chemical Brothers, actually. Uh, I like that uh, surface-to-air song off of their uh, Push the Button record, um, because the only lyrics in it are that uh, we can help make the world a little bit better. And uh, certainly the world needs it. So that's what we're doing here at Mutiny Radio and uh, what I'd like to do here on Women's Magazine, where we talk to uh, women who are changing the world and issues that affect everybody. And I'm really happy to introduce my guest today, uh, Bronwyn K. Galloway, um, who is the chair of the United Nations Association San Francisco Women's Committee um, here, obviously, in San Francisco. Um, Welcome, Bronwyn. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Val.
3: So how long have you been a part of, this, uh, of the United Nations Association in San Francisco? And what is some of the work that you're doing with, those, uh, with that organization, that committee?
1: Thank you for asking. I have been a board member for seven years. I recently stepped down as the executive committee secretary. But for the same amount of years, I've been the women's committee chair and continue to do that. So I'd like to give you a little bit of background of the UNA. Not everybody knows about the U.N.A. The United Nations Association actually existed two years prior to the UN. So it started in 1943 and really gave birth to the UN in 1945. uh, The UNA is National Nonpartisan Nonprofit, an organization that promotes the UN. And it was chartered, as in drafted and signed, in San Francisco, which not everybody knows either. You might know that we have the United Nations Plaza. Right. That's why. So we the UNA actually has one hundred and seventy-five chapters throughout the country. And the of course the San Francisco chapter is unique to represent the UN where it was chartered. Uh, UNASF has programs, events, information, educational materials, and we work with community organizations as well as non-governmental organizations to promote peace culture and education in in, in the efforts you know, aligned with the UN we make an effort to engage the public in local and foreign policy issues as well as realize how the united nations is really a part of our everyday life in actually in 1995 there was we were the host to the united nations 50th anniversary that promoted peace and culture and education in city, uh, citywide. And we do have celebrations, bigger celebrations every five years, but certainly celebrations every year. And we just had one a few weeks ago for the United Nations 71st anniversary.
3: So what are some of those, um, those policies that y- the UNA is, is currently trying to disseminate and, and educate the public about?
1: Sort of a hot topic right now is the context of human rights. Uh, For example, not that we're promoting any candidates uh, for the presidential election, but Jill Stein was uh, speaking about her foreign policy would would have encompassed international law and human rights. That's something that the UN does. In, in all in all of its it's international law it's not state law there's not 50 different bodies of law there's one body of law and it's really very simplistic that sort of would you give yourself the right to clean water yes you would so therefore you have the right to clean water that is a human right and it, and it goes on into you know myriad issues of course
3: so yeah the and clean water is certainly uh Another, as you kind of said, hot topic, especially right now, Uh, I was over at UN Plaza in Civic Center Plaza on Tuesday morning for the the sunrise ceremony to support uh, standing the Standing Rock Sioux camp in North Dakota, who are Trying to protect the waters of the Missouri River up there—it's um, kind of a growing movement around the country. Um, what do you, what do you see as um, some of the movements that are gathering, um, and and maybe a little bit more of what the the UNA is involved with in terms of promoting human rights and and supporting programs and organizations that do.
1: Well, I do I do want to point out a specific mission of the Women's Committee, and that is. There's a campaign called Cities for CEDAW. CEDAW is a bit of a mouthful. It stands for the Convention on Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. It's a United Nations international treaty. It's also known as the Bill of Rights for Women. It was was actually created in 1979, and President Carter actually signed it in 1980, but Congress never made it into law. So right. Then, so then in, in 1998, San Francisco was the first city to pass a local CEDAW ordinance because we have a strong, effective women's community here. And then other cities like Los Angeles and Portland followed, and we're, we now have the campaign Cities for CEDAW, which, which if, we, if we get enough cities to establish a municipal ordinance, it would push the country to, to ratify it into law.
3: So. And, and just as a the broader context for for CDA is that when it was created in 79 um, almost all of the countries uh, signed signed on to it and ratified it within that year if not right at that at that time um, that it, that it came out um, but there are only a handful of countries who have not fully ratified it um, including the United States and and kind of a, a small smattering of of um, uh, what kind of look like the uh, the cafeteria punks in the room, <laughs> you know, like Somalia, Iran, yes. you know, there's like a, there's only a, f- a few countries who haven't signed it, including the United States.
1: Correct. That's a point I might've f- forgotten to make. So thank you for pointing that out, that there are somewhere around 185 United Nations, United Nations member states, so they're called, and some have signed. As the U.S. has, but not ratified, and we mm. so we are one of the one of only a handful, and like you say, it's uh, you know Iraq or it's, uh, some surprising countries that are considered third world, if you will, uh, but the U.S. is there.
3: Yeah, I believe there's a couple like former like Eastern Bloc countries who hadn't signed since it was 1979. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the this this uh, this international. Rights treaty for women. Um, so the Cities for CEDAW has been um, going around, going around the country, um, trying to get cities, and and they've and you've been very successful. I mean, so far this is, is a growing movement. Um, I know that that many many cities in in several states around the around the country have. Sign some local ordinances in the hopes of pu- of pushing this forward as a, as a sort of um, national agenda to do so. Um, how has that worked? When did that work start? When did Cities for CDAW really start to ramp up its efforts?
1: Cities for CDAW is is fairly new. Um, Nineteen ninety eight was was when we saw San Francisco adopt the ordinance, um, and it and it only manifested some years after when it um, actually established the commission. Uh, the Department on the Status of Women in San Francisco, but there are measurable differences that can be seen in how CEDAW affects laws in the city. For example, it helps with public safety, it helps with employment, specifically for women, uh, for budgets, for women's issues. It also helps end violence against women and close the uh, wage gap, as well as release sort of potential in women's esteem in general.
3: So it is. That San Francisco, being a city for CEDAW, has been taking uh, measurable steps uh, to enact it and, and kind of act as a model uh, for, for other cities and, and hopefully for the country at some point. As we should. <laughs> as we should. So what is the actual final step for this? Um, so President Carter signed it, but then Congress needs to uh, pass it and vote on it. Is that what hap- needs Cong- to happen? Congress
1: needs to make it into law. Which would, which would mean ratifying the treaty, and only when the treaty is ratified can we sort of hold d- different, you know, crimes and lacks in society. Um, only then can we push it to to make it to make it a law on what, whatever level it needs to be, uh, so that. I I just think there's there's this uh, lack of awareness of human rights of international law and it really trumps pardon the pardon the verb I know the uh, the state <laughs> laws that we have so uh, I ask anybody to look up international law and how and how that really is a, an umbrella over any law in the world but we, but we have to enforce it we have to we have to bring it into our state laws before we can do that
3: Right. I know that, I mean, the United States, of course, has always been resistant to uh, capitulate to any sort of international legal system uh, that would, pardon the verb, trump uh, any sort of domestic uh, laws. Um, (laughs) Damn, you know, I really used to like that word. Um, (laughs) Me too. We'll find find a new one. Anyhow, um, (laughs) but it's true. I mean, I I think that in large part... um, Americans may not be you know they're not there's certainly not a lot of centralized education about what international law um, means and how it affects uh, people and what countries are are um, you know kind of following following it as a model um, you know and I think the United States just as um, you know, a country that kind of stands on its own and doesn't really like to, to give into that um, can at the very least, uh, you know, still be present and, and uh, compromise and, and try to learn from, you know, kind of at least try to glean uh, the good parts of international law and, and incorporate them into, into our society. Because certainly uh, civil rights, human rights um, are a huge concern, especially at this time. What else has the uh, San Francisco Women's Committee been working on?
1: So, in general, we have monthly or quarterly meetings. We also celebrate events every year. For example, International Women's Day is every March 8th. We once had um, an event with about 80 people, speakers, musicians, food and drink, conversation, dialogue, etc. Uh, also, as its chair, I've given speeches, Contributed to panels, whether I was a panelist or a moderator, Uh, also been to the Capitol for, uh, to to lobby on Capitol Hill for UN women funding, for example, as well as attended the women's conference that's every March, which is Very exciting.
3: Where's is it held in the same place every year? Where's the women's conference? It's
1: at the UN headquarters in in New York. In
3: New York, and what happens at the women's conference?
1: It's a bit, I think, like you're released uh, after an orientation in college, and you have to run around and get a class to to sit to sit in or stand in, <laughs> but you but there's so much information and there's so many different classes, so you so you do you do go around for a week and and pick topics and try and you know make sure you get in if it's if it's not too crowded, uh, and and then hopefully whoever's presenting will tell you not only the information they want to give you but what to do with that information how to act. Act in your community as well as on a global level.
3: Interesting. And then, uh, are there also like kind of breakout workshops as well? Oh, Yes. I'm sure.
1: Workshops, sm- smaller speeches, bigger, bigger. You know, sometimes you'll be actually in the rooms, pret- pretending you're a different country, mm-hmm. s- sit- sitting there uh, asking on that country's behalf. It, it, it's a lot, a lot of different activity.
3: That's really interesting. Uh, that kind of, uh, kind of a mock UN. As, as in a sense um, i i was a political science major in college, I went to UC Santa Barbara. And in my final year, I took a, uh, a Congress class. <laughs> and and we did actually have to um, em- embody, so to speak, uh, various representatives from across the country and, and, uh, you know, call up laws and, and conduct committee meetings and things like that. And I think that, the, I mean, in terms of education, I think we need more uh, civics in our, in our education system, because, you know, it's, I mean, even if you try to read the the voter guide, (laughs) if you if you're not really versed in, you know, what what bureaucracy is and and
1: even if you are, it's very overwhelming information. It
3: is. It is. I was I was reading those books for weeks. I felt like I mean, I've been out of school for a while, but I felt like I was really having to do my homework. Um, And a lot of people don't have the time or the, the maybe the you know, they don't know where to start. So, um, so you went to the to the women's conference this this year? Did you? No, it was a
1: few. It was a few years, a ago, few years when, ago when the theme was violence against women, which is my big concern.
3: And um, what kind of work have have you been involved in here in San Francisco uh, in terms of trying to prevent or support uh, women who have been part of, and uh, violated in those ways?
1: For me, it's not it's not specifically helping an individual, which is of course important work. I, I work more on a mass level where I, I want to, to research and write and speak and get the message out to collectively. Um, and then other, others such as family law attorneys and other lawmakers um, are hopefully enforcing good law. For example, we have in the, world, in the US, we have obscenity laws against certain por- pornography, pornography, for example, but those laws are not enforced. In other words, we have the First Amendment, which we which all, which we all, very much hold dear, but there are some some limitations, and but the law, the lawmakers, and the law lawyers, and the. Uh, those who are in charge of enforcing those laws are not doing that. So it's uh, it's all kind of out of control at the moment.
3: Yeah. And, the, you know, that's a really interesting point because kind of going back to what we're talking about, like with voting and trying to make decisions and, and getting involved, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, you know, initiatives or propositions that come up um, that once you start reading into them, you realize that there actually already is a law um, that, that just isn't being enforced, as you say. Um, so uh, certainly, uh, a, a complex <laughs> legal structure, um, in here in the United say States, to <laughs> say the least. All right. So we're going to take a little musical break here for a second. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some, uh, d- a domestic, uh, situation, our domestic, uh, political climate. And, um, well, we'll be discussing a little bit of a Hail Mary play, but uh, here's a little music for you. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Women's Magazine here Mutiny MutinyRadio.fm. I am Global Val, and this is my guest Bronwyn Galloway from the United Nations San Francisco Women's Committee. We'll here, Women's Magazine, Mutiny Radio, San Francisco. I'm Global Val, and I'm here with Bronwyn Galloway. And uh, we've been talking about uh, the the San Francisco Women's Committee of the United Nations, the United Nations Association here in San Francisco, which we, we learned actually preceded um, the United Nations itself. And uh, Bronwyn has been the the uh, the chair of the sf women's committee for the past several years um but let's get into a little bit of domestic politics obviously um the election last week nationally internationally a huge upset um raising lots and lots of alarm uh for well <laughs> alarmism
1: uh, w- is good in this case
3: I agree. I feel like people are activated. People are awake, waking up, even though it's been a hard, like up and down past 10 days. I've had several people say, you know, it feels like it's already been a year. Um, <laughs> most people say, I feel like there's like, I've got this like sick, like I got hit in the gut. Um, so this is something that, uh, w- people in a, in a large, on a large scale are feeling and experiencing, um, so we had the, the general election on November 8th. Um, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Uh, she won uh, more individual votes than, uh, than Donald Trump. And um,
1: more in but, history, I believe. It's, it's, it's often that close, so to speak, but she's won by a million or two million now. And that is unprecedented.
3: Of individual of popular vote. Correct. I did not know that. That's, now that's really interesting. Um, but of course we still have this electoral college, um, which I think is going to be, uh, the next, the hot topic of the next, um, few years of trying to change that. Of course, it's something that's written into the constitution. So it takes, um, I believe three quarters of the states to, uh, if a law to be introduced and then three quarters of the states to ratify it in order to change that electoral system. Uh, you know, I work with a lot of international people, and of course, having to explain certain things about <laughs> our political system here in the United States, um, whenever I tell them about the electoral college, they get this look on their face like, what do you mean? <laughs> You know, like, yeah, that's well, it's just this kind of old system you know, 535 electors, um, these individuals who are, um, have, have, you know, kind of signed on to uh, cast a final vote on this time, it's November, December nineteenth, when the Electoral College will gather and actually cast their votes for uh, the presidency.
1: Correct. Many people don't know this. First, I want to say that any statements I'm making about the election are my personal opinion, my, my personal statements. They are completely separate from the UNASF.
3: Claro. All right. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about it. What's, what's, uh, let's talk about this idea we're just talking about off air.
1: So we might know now that the Electoral College was created by the founding fathers... Who did not trust the average voter, which at the time did not involve women? They thought that you know maybe the, maybe the farmer deep in the rural uh, c- context of one of the very small states, what what have you, would not have no, would not have known how to vote properly, would ha- would not have known. The candidates names much less what the candidates were about so they so they made, tried to make each state sort of be quasi the same size mm-hmm. so and have representatives of each state b- basically pledge their vote for a particular candidate so as we know 55 we have 55 electors in california so Our electors have pledged to vote for Hillary. Not likely going to change their votes, but we are seeing a national protest. Half the country up in arms for days on end, nights on end, even protests in other parts of the world begging us to to do something to prevent Donald Trump from stepping up to becoming actual president in January. So the on December 19th we until then we can be emailing and anybody who wants to contact me I have a nice email list of all the electors across the United States we can ask them to please reconsider their final vote and with all the with all the protesting and all the upheaval I think they they might and some say, "Well, they're they're Republican. They're not going to change to Democrat. But if they'd voted for another Republican, it wouldn't it wouldn't change. They wouldn't have enough votes for
3: right because anyone be-
1: other than Trump. So it would need to be Hillary,
3: right? Because um, the many states have uh, have laws where. Um so if the major the if the two it's usually just the two of course there were there were four candidates were on the ballot this this year um but if the two major party candidates of course are the ones who always rise uh to the to the forefront when
1: they're 50-50 sure
3: yeah um and so whoever gets whichever candidate gets um a simple majority in the state um all of that state's electors go to that candidate which is why Hillary Clinton won in California, a majority, and therefore the 55 California votes go to her on December 19th. Um, so there are several states where those electors, those people who are selected to cast those votes in December, um, cannot change their vote. They must vote in uh, based on the what the state um, population voted. Um, but there are, I believe, 29. Of our 50 states, who do not have laws that 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 bind the electors to casting votes for the candidate who won the majority in that state, and so these are the states that were that you're kind of it's kind of a focus on. It's kind of this growing kind of under undercurrent movement, um, or at least it's it's happening broadly, but we don't necessarily see it in the mainstream media. It's
1: starting to get cover coverage. There was an article in Time about it. There, oh good. Some there's some talk about Maryland changing. They're, they're what they pledged to vote, they're changing it. <clears throat> there, there was a elector in Arizona who came out to say that the electors in Arizona are getting bombarded with emails and calls from civilians, if you will, to, to change the Arizona vote. So it is uh, it's, it's getting, the word is getting out there.
3: Right. Because, I mean, to to win the electoral college, you need to have over 270 electors uh, voting for you because we've through 535, which is the same number of, of uh, representatives in the House of Representatives, um, which is kind of a, a, a set number. It hasn't changed in, in a long, long time, 535. Um, so yeah, it is this, uh, I've been hearing about it too, this, this movement to um, Encourage these electors in states who are not bound uh, to to cast their vote for the majority candidate uh, to instead cast their vote for a different candidate. As you said, they could vote for a different Republican. They don't. This is, it. Could be almost anybody that they could vote for, um, which is the odd part about the Electoral College. <laughs> like, oh, it's in place to represent the territories, but eh, you don't know, really necessarily have to. if they're, but if they're
1: to. going to change their vote, they should put it put it where it would. Right. really make the difference and that would be for Hillary so in um, what's I gonna say oh I did hear that electors could get fined but the the fine might be small enough that they that they don't care but that is this is some, an interesting element to keep in mind
3: right yeah I mean yeah it has it has happened in the past where that were well, the the term're calling them as faithless electors. Um, Yeah, it's not a, it's not a jail time or any sort of prosecution. Um, It's just a, it's a choice.
1: There is a petition sort of going viral and it only needs 4.5 million signatures to be counted, so to speak. And it, I believe we only need 60,000 more signatures on it so th- that can be searched for on the in- on the internet and of course a petition isn't going to get Hillary elected but the but for the electors to consider the petition hear about the petition see how you know that many millions of people actually signing a petition right is something
3: yeah absolutely I mean and they will convene um to to cast their votes um and uh I mean, it would be a huge upset, <laughs> so to speak. It's um, already a huge
1: upset. So it would match it. It would be, yeah. It would make America great again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Bring us back to, to center a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Because the, I mean, I, I obviously was not supporting Donald Trump, um, but I didn't, it didn't necessarily occur to me that just by him getting elected that there were going to be so many acts of uh, hate crimes yes. and violence against people who are not uh, Aryan white people, uh, against women. And, and, and the biggest thing, I have, I have a lot of friends who, who teach in um, elementary and high schools, the kids are scared. Yes. The children of the United States are scared. But There's there even a-
1: one young man who, who already was killed.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, uh, Muslims in America, I mean, women have been getting attacked. People have started like grab their, their hijab, um, and, and, and told them that it's not legal. They can't wear that anymore. Um, Uh, I mean, it's really just the ugliness that was let loose. I mean, I think, I mean, it was definitely something that was the fear and the concern, but that, but just the, the reality of it has been, um, really disgusting. And I'm going to use Hillary Clinton's word and say deplorable, um, because it's lawlessness. And I hope that everybody who who is, um, carrying out these acts of violence, um, and emboldened by the Trump election, um, are prosecuted to the full extent of the law, um, but yeah, so this, uh, this um, swaying of the electors is kind of the Hail Mary uh, play of this <laughs> contentious election season. It's, uh,
1: it's something to hope for. And why not? We didn't think Trump would, would win. Why, why not the electors changing to elect Hillary? It, it can happen. We, we know that it can happen. We, we just saw something. We didn't think it was plausible. Manifest.
3: It's so, true. Any, anything's possible. Right. So, so you said you have a list of all the electors? I do. And uh, how can people get a hold of that?
1: Somebody, made a, somebody on Facebook made a Google document available to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I got my hands on it, and I'm drafting uh, an email at home. So feel free to contact me. I'll, I'll give you my email. My email is the letter U, the number two, the word feminist. Gmail, so it looks like you 2 feminist at gmail.com You can also find me on Facebook facebook.com slash brawn online that's B-R-O-N half of my first name and the word online, brawn online um, I'll, even, I'll even give you my cell phone number 415-577-3998 Let's do this Why not try? It could not hurt
3: Hey, you know, I've like you said, anything any, <laughs> anything can change. Really, obviously, um, <laughs> there's surprises in store all the time.
1: And it's a great chance to exercise our how we can contribute, how we as individuals can help.
3: Right, and it might actually help push um, the the repeal of the electoral college um, right. at some time over the next we four should, years. Yeah, we should have done that. In yeah, two thousand
1: four, but. Yes, at right. least now. Right, because this is the second
3: time in this century where the popular vote, what candidate got the popular vote, was not. Um, or if we uh, keep did not the electoral take
1: office. college, then we know this safety net is there called Faithless elector, elector, and we can use it. As, as we can try as hard as possible to make that useful.
3: It's a good point. It's a good point. So I'm glad that we're talking about it. And hopefully people out there, if they've heard little buzzes of it, or if they haven't heard anything at all, um, they can at least engage in the conversation. Google it. Yeah. Uh, Faithless electors. Um, But before we go, we have a few more minutes. And you're working on your own. um, uh, I mean, you're obviously a busy woman. You doing the, you've been the chair of the San Francisco Women's Committee for the United Nations, um, but you have a, a, a new uh, endeavor. Tell us about AWE. What is the amaz- Amazing the Women Enterprises, right?
1: Amazing Women Enterprises, or AWE. So my mother passed away last March, and mm. she had a public relations business in Sonoma County called Amazing Women Enterprises. And so in her honor, I've decided to take that name, to brand myself, I'm both a social activist and would love to find wor- actual work in it where there's you know, nine to five structure or, a, or even a volunteer job inside an organization. All of the U- UNA is sort of external. Uh, you know, we, we have events in conference rooms and hotels and things like that, but we don't have an office. Um, I'd also like to see the the UN Plaza become a real office for 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 like a satellite UN UNA. Um, and, but also for 22 years, I've worked as a legal administrator, whether it be secretarial, paralegal, office management work, and, and I would and I'm uh, for hire, so to speak.
3: <laughs> so, tell us a little bit more about the uh, the idea of uh, amazing women enterprises
1: my my mom used it for not only public relations but party planning and just sort of you know photography writing so she she just had to use it as an umbrella to to work in in many uh in many fields so i'm I'm using it in the same way to um you know to contract out as a legal administrator or um to offer my s- sort of activist consulting and and lots of other sort of ventures, whether it be editing or um, I, I have dreams of conducting celebration ceremonies instead of weddings, there's lots of ideas. I'm just, I'm just applying for a license now
3: very very cool Thank you well I know you you have a you certainly have a, a lot of interests and passions and um, you know I, I I wish you luck with that because I, I think uh, it's the creativity the creative force that really needs to be unleashed uh, at this time especially with women um, you know we're so smart and we're so creative and uh, sometimes just the you know the the boxes that they that, that are around us yes. are not not something that we fit into
1: I do want to encourage men to to help us not only is more better in that way but the more men can sort of examine how gender roles affect them negatively the, the you know the the more informed they will be to when they're helping us in the fight
3: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Bronwyn Galloway. Thank you, Val. It's a pleasure to have you, and you're welcome back anytime. Um, You know, let us know if there's any events you need need to announce or um, new projects coming up, and uh, we're happy to to showcase that here on Mutiny Radio. We'll
1: most certainly take advantage of that. Thank you, Val. All
3: right. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in to Women's Magazine, and I hope you're having a good Friday. Um, I know it's a rough week, but we're getting through it together and I feel like everyone is awake and aware and engaged and activated in ways that perhaps we weren't before and uh people are having I'm having conversations with people on the street you know just I feel like everyone's just kind of tuned in right now and we have to use that momentum and uh and eager to talk yeah yeah people want to talk yeah. And just, you know, show show solidarity and just like look at each other and say, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, like we're we're on the same page here. Validation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking forward, uh and uh and looking to what we can do. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank Thanks. You, to- women's magazine. Yeah. Yay. All right. Yeah. Happy Friday, everybody. And uh stay tuned the Common Thread Collective is coming up next Um, so you're welcome to join us at 21st in Florida here for a community open mic music poetry activism uh, good conversation um, and a a lot of wild cards Um, but always a good time Uh, hopefully we'll be hearing from the folks out in North Dakota the past couple weeks we've had people call in from the Standing Rock Sioux Camp um, and we'll be talking a lot more about all of that coming up next on the Common Thread Collective and uh, just remember just when your aspirations seem outrageous, like, you know, using the electoral college to our advantage so that there's a demagogue, um, crazy man who hasn't really worked in, in a long time. Um, and now he's going to have the toughest job in the world. You know, if, if, if your aspirations are outrageous, you know, don't worry. Inspiration is contagious. So, uh, peace and thank you. And, uh, yeah, grab a stranger's hand. Just make sure they say it's okay first.